You know, over the last number of weeks, we've been sharing about uh, the armor of God and, and really what I've uh, entitled it is armed and dangerous because the truth is you can be. You are armed and you can be dangerous. The Bible says that we have been given spiritual gifts, spiritual abilities, even weaponry, if you will, um, to what? To wage a good warfare, to fight a good fight. You know, you know how I determine if you fight a good fight? If you win, right? I mean, I never, you know, I never liked it when people say, oh, you had a good game. And I'm like, but we lost. Like, that's all I cared about, you know. And, and I know I'm ultra competitive. I get it. Some of you are like, all right, you know. But, I mean, we're in a high stakes fight. And we've been sharing about this. Why? Because we have an enemy, the devil, who is actively, uh, strategically planning for what? Our demise. John 10.10 10 says he comes for three purposes, none of which are good. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his ultimate goal in our life. Well, if we have an opponent, then we ought to prepare. And, uh, you know, when we ought to be wise, um, you know, about this. And, and even in, in how we live our life. And yet, uh, this is so practical. And yet, many times, I don't know that we do it every day. Let me mention this before I forget. Out there on the information booth, I found this this week, and I thought it was pretty neat. thought that came through the sound system. Um, but this is actually called the uh, Armor of God Prayer. And it's just a little prayer that I came across. And it kind of walks through the different pieces of your armor. And so these are sitting out there on the information table. So if you want one of these, they're out there. And uh, it's a pretty neat little, you know, just something, the way you can pray it over you. Uh, you know, it's not a bad thing to even just be mindful of it uh, to use as a tool in your life. And so um, kind of our one of our key verses, and we've read this most every week, but comes out of Psalms 144 verse 1. Uh, let me get over in the New Living Translation here. He says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He says, He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He trains my hands for war. And we've talked about this in depth, so I don't want to uh, rehash it just for the sake of time. But we can be trained on how to use our spiritual weapons better. Well, usually you get better the more you use it. The more that you use the sword of the Spirit. It may not be the most effective that it will be the very first time. But the more you use it. We were talking about that last week. The sword of the Spirit. The more you use it. The more you understand. Okay. This is how it works. And this is what I need to be mindful of. You know. uh, And whether it be any part of the armor. The more you use it. The better you're going to get. And so it requires training. We do that through the help of the Holy Spirit. Leading us and guiding us. Psalms 18 verse uh, 31. Says for who is God except the Lord. And who is our God, or who but our God is a solid rock? He arms me with strength and he gives, or he makes my way perfect. Verse 34 says, He trains my hands for battle and he strengthens my arm to draw a bronze boat. And so we see, and obviously, David is the psalmist who's writing these, and of course, he was a warrior king. He wasn't just a, you know, he wasn't a, a, a politician like we know. He would be like a general who. You know, like, think about, like, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He was a different kind of president. Why? Because he was a general. He understood different tactics of war. And so he just, he led differently. Why? Because he had a different background. He wasn't much of a talker. He was more of a doer. That makes sense. You know, and and why? Because he had a different mindset, a different approach. And, um, you know, and even for this is that we realize, and, and whether we can really say what it is, many of us understand that we are under attack. 
Now, we may not be able to even put it into words or to say, well, this is what's going on or this is what's happening specifically. But we understand that there is a resistance that is fighting against you. I mean, just practically speaking, just honestly, how many of you have ever had the, maybe just even the desire to read your Bible and something said, you don't need to do that? Anybody? It's not that important. Have you ever had that thought about TV? <laughs> Has the devil ever come and whispered and said, don't turn that TV on. Don't do this. Don't know. Why? Because there's no, he, he doesn't care about the TV. Yeah. He's like, hey, watch TV. Be distracted. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, man, I should pray more. And then all this, you know, one of the things that I find is that when I start to pray, especially at the very beginning, I remember everything I've forgotten to do. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how that happens. Oh, I was supposed to call this person. I was supposed to do I'm convinced if I've forgotten something, all I need to do is just try to start praying and the devil will be quick to remind me. Why is there a resistance to that? Because we're in a battle. There, he's constantly resisting us. And, um, you know, here in Ephesians chapter 6, this is the context of, of really what we've been sharing. And he says a final word in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies or the schemes of the devil. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, so since you got an enemy, he says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the, evil, or the enemy in the time of evil. He says, therefore, or then you will, uh, after the battle, you will stand firm. Or be standing firm. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. And after the belt of truth, put on the body armor of God's righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these things, or in, he says to hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts or the fiery arrows of the devil. It says, put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, Paul doesn't specifically uh, qualify verse 18 here of prayer about being part of the armor. He doesn't specifically name it out like he did all these other ones where he says, hey, for shoes, it's your peace, for this, it's this, and for all these types of things. But he also doesn't take a breath in continuing the thought. I mean, we're the ones who chopped it up and put it in verses. When it was originally written, it was just an extremely long run-on sentence, for lack of a better word today. So he tells us, he says, we need to take up the sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit at all times. He may not specifically list it as part of the armor, but what we do know is that it, it has great influence. You know, and one of the things about the armor, all these other elements that we've looked at, whether it be the helmet, the breastplate, the, you know, the loin of truth, all these things are all things that really we do. Now, there are things that God has done for us, but yet it's things that we apply to our life. I'm either, you know, I'm either going to put on the helmet of salvation or I'm not. God's not going to do that for me. I'm either going to use the sword of the Spirit or I'm not. God's, you know, God, not, not, God is not going to send an angel to come down and pick up the sword of the Spirit for me. I've got to do that. But yet here, it's the one thing that actually we now turn, in a sense, and look to God and ask God to do. 
God says, look, I've got six things here that will protect your life, that will keep your mind safe, that will protect uh, even your experience in life in the spiritual battle that we are waging. There are six things that you have, in a sense, control of. But there is a seventh element that only I can do. Because there are times that we can do everything right and be doing everything right, and yet the enemy still seems to advance against us. And that does happen at times. What do you do in that moment? Man, I'm confessing the word. I'm doing what I know to do. I'm watching my thoughts. I'm, you know, pastor, I'm doing everything you've told me to do for the last seven, eight weeks. And it still doesn't seem like it's working. God has an answer for that. Now, it doesn't mean that prayer is a last resort. That's not what he's saying. But what it is saying is, I'm going to do my part, and God's going to do his part. And together, I cannot be defeated. When I do what I'm supposed to do, God will do what he's supposed to do, and that really solidifies my victory. But God will not do everything for me. He will not do everything for you. And so, even here where he talks about this, he says that we are to pray in the Spirit. Now, there's two contexts here. Number one is praying in the Spirit as in praying in other tongues. To pray in a heavenly language. And then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's an aspect of it. But it also means that we need to be praying led by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes you've got to pray in the Spirit in tongues to figure out what you need to be praying. And I've had that happen. There have been other times that I have prayed and said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray or how to pray. I'm not quite sure here. Is there something specific that I need to pray or a specific way that I need to pray? Typically what happens in that moment, he will bring a verse into my heart. Not audibly, but all of a sudden I'll be just will rise up and I'll begin to pray that verse. That's being led by the Holy Spirit and knowing how to pray. There's a guy named Albert Barnes who wrote a commentary. And uh, he says this about um, praying in the Spirit here. He says, No matter how complete the armor, no matter how skilled we may be in the science of war, no matter how courageous we may be, we may be certain that without prayer we shall be defeated. No No matter how brave you are, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how pretty all your armor may be, without prayer... You'll surely be defeated. He said, God alone can give the victory. And when the Christian soldier goes forth armed completely for the spiritual conflict, if he looks to God by prayer, he may be sure of triumph. All the armor in the world. I mean, think about this. I mean, we looked at this the very first week. We looked at David and Goliath. In the preparation for David to go out on the battlefield, Saul tried to take his armor and put it on David. Did he not? And the problem was, is that God had a different plan than what Saul thought was right for David. David says, I can't, I'm unfamiliar with all of this armor that you've given. And God wanted to show himself strong for David. I mean, Goliath was insulted when David walked out onto the battlefield. He says, I'm a mighty man of war and you send to me a little boy. He doesn't even have a sword. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything. Goliath's probably thinking this is going to be the easiest fight of my life. This is going to be over real quick. Little did he know 
that David was not standing on that battlefield alone. Well, neither are we. In this battle that we are in and, and, and what's happening around us, we are not fighting in and of ourselves, or by ourselves, or in our own strength. Verse 10 here says that um, it starts off and it says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We've talked about this several times throughout um, the course of this series, but our source of our strength comes from the Lord first and foremost. And if we ever lose sight of that, we're in trouble right at the break. Because that's the source, that's the strength, that's the authority of our life, even spiritually speaking. There's a lot of people who can say the name of Jesus, but there's no authority behind it because there's no relationship to back it up. And that's part of what makes the difference for us. And so even in prayer, part of, and this is just some of the ways that I kind of define it, prayer is what? It's, a, it's my acknowledging that I need God. It's just me saying, God, I don't have this. And I don't, I'm not smart enough, good enough, strong enough. My willpower, God, I need your help. But it goes even farther than that because when I pray, it also speaks to my desire for God to be a part of my life. It's not just saying, God, I need you. It's saying, God, I want you. There's a big difference. Think about people in your life who need you. Or let me say it this way. Think about the people in your life who just need you for what they can get out of you. That's not really people I like to have relationships with. I like to have relationships with people who want me in their life. I'm not a means to an end for somebody. I want to have relationships, friendships, and and do life. Why? Because if they need me, I'm there for them. But if I need them, they're there for me. There's this mutual side of it. And so even as we pray, just the most simple, basic, and you know, and I'm not talking technically per se of how to pray. Because I think we've probably talked too much about technically how to pray. The heart matters more than the words. The true desire for God to work matters more than did I pray this exactly. This is the form, it may be a good reminder. This is not holy. What is holy is the God I'm praying to. That's what makes the difference. And so even as we pray, it's, it's our acknowledging of our need, but also our desire. I like to say it this way because I think it helps communicate it. It's an invitation for God. God, I'm inviting you into my life. I want you to be a part of my life. I'm asking you to work, yes. I need you to work, yes. But I'm not just here for what you can do for me. I'm inviting you into every part of my life. You know, one of the things that he says here, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times. Now, how many of you have ever had the thought like, how do you pray all the time? How do you pray all the time? I mean, how do you ever have a conversation with anybody? Like, oh, I'm out of the will of God. I'm talking to somebody. I've got to go back and pray. Because I'm supposed to be praying constantly. That's really not what he means. The Amplified Bible, I believe, adds some clarity to this. He says it this way. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times, on every occasion and in every season in the Spirit. Now, what this means is that whenever you need to, 
whenever the moment presents itself, you ought to pray. In private, in public. If there's a need, pray. You know, one of the things several years ago that I just began to change was I quit telling people, I'll pray for you. I don't always do this, but I, I try to. I've quit, I've tried to just say, to, you know, I will pray for you. And even if I don't pray with them in that very moment, if, it's on the, if I'm on the phone, I'm like, I'll pray for you. One of the best things I've done is just, if I say, I'm going to do it right now. I'm not going to wait. Why? Because give it 10 minutes and kind of floats away. You see him again, you're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be praying for you. <laughs> Shoot. Yep. The intention to pray doesn't make the difference. Prayer makes the difference. So we have to be intentional about it, but we are Christians. We ought to pray. Why? Because we have the God of the universe on our side. And he says here to pray at all times, to pray with the helper by the instruction of the Holy Spirit. So we, you know, and of course, you know, I mean, the other side of this is, is that we are to pray continually or constantly or regularly. You could say it that way, but also fervently. We're not to be apathetic or passive in our prayer. We ought to be connected to it. Let me just give you an easy example. We pray over our food. Do you really think about what you're saying? Or are you just saying the same prayer? You know, kind of a funny story. A number of years ago, quite a number of years ago, my dad got in a wreck right before Christmas Day. Uh, it was like two days before Christmas. He got in a pretty bad car wreck. He was out on business. And, um, you know, long story, but he was in the hospital for a day. And then they, he came home. I don't know if it was Christmas Eve night or Christmas Day. I think it was Christmas Day he came home. and uh, But we had Christmas dinner. My dad has prayed the same prayer my entire life. The exact same prayer over dinner. Every time. He's like, you know... We pray for missionaries, but not at the dinner table. And, uh, you know, that's kind of my dad's philosophy. Is we're going to keep it pretty straight-laced. That year, because of what had gone on, my dad changed his prayer. So, you know, we're doing what we always do. Everybody, you know, dad's like, let's pray. We all bow our heads. My dad starts going off script, and everybody does this. <laughs> and, like, it's, like, we're all trying to hold it. And as soon as the prayer ended, we all started laughing. Because we were like, man, something happened. Why? Something had happened. And he had changed his focus. Well, so, so many times we can, even in our quoting of Scripture and all, we can just get into the form of it. Just the, well, this is just what we do. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Okay, well, do you really think about the stripes that Jesus took upon him? Or do we just say that? Do we really think about the price that was paid? Because if we really thought about it, we wouldn't tolerate a lot of the things in our life that we do. Because we realize the price that's been paid. And what Jesus went through. I wouldn't allow the devil to just come and take my peace flippantly. Oh, no, no, no. My Lord and my Savior said he gave me his peace. Devil, you're not coming to steal my peace. It was paid for with a high price and it's mine. And so, you know, and, and part of it is, is that... I, our prayer life is a continual reminder of our dependence upon the Lord. As human beings, we fight for independence. It's the reason man fell in the first place. What was the temptation? It wasn't the apple. It wasn't the tree. The temptation was if you eat it, you'll be like God. You'll understand what God knows. It was a, actually a sin of independence. We're not created to be independent of God. Our life is to be dependent upon Him. 
So, you, I mean, you know, many people make it about a lot of it. The first sin was that. Of saying, I want to do what I want to do. That was the original sin. And yet, we have to live this life. And so, even being mindful of continually connecting with the Father, continually being in relationship with Him, being purposeful about it. It doesn't mean I walk around with my heads in the clouds and I'm weird. That's not what I'm talking about. Excuse me, you interrupted my conversation with the Lord. I'll get back to you in a moment. I'm sorry, Lord, they're rude. They obviously didn't know I was talking. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. We still have to live a life. But there's a lot of time that we can pray. There's lots of time, but it's just being intentional about it. So we want, to be, we want to have our heart connected to our prayers. James chapter 5, verse 8 out of the Amplified says, The heartfelt and persistent continued prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. So my prayer is not effective until God touches it. That's what it says here in the Amplified. He, he says that the heartfelt prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It's dynamic and can be tremendous and can have tremendous power. So when God all of a sudden gets in agreement, let me say it this way, is that when God agrees with what I pray, something powerful can happen. And how do I get God to agree with my prayer? I first align myself with his word. And God says, I'll sign off on that. You ever had to do like a purchase request, work for a company, and you wanted to buy something, but you needed a signature first? It's annoying, right? You got to go get your pricing, fill out a piece of paper, give it to somebody else, get them to sign it so you can come back and buy whatever you need to buy. It's like, man, it would have been a lot easier if I could have just bought it. A lot quicker. Save me a lot of time. Prayer is somewhat like that. We pray. We need God's approval to our prayer. God is not obligated to answer every prayer. He is obligated to answer every prayer that is in line with his word. That's important that we know that, that we don't lose sight of that. Just because I'm in a mood doesn't mean that God just jumps at my back and call because I prayed something crazy. I don't have to sign off on that. That's not going to produce the what I need to produce in your life. So, no, I, I'm not going to answer that prayer. But we do have to pray in line with God's word. It's important that we pray. This is what I know. When I pray, coincidences seem to happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't seem to happen. So maybe they're not so coincidental after all. Maybe it's that when I pray, God works. And when I don't pray, God doesn't work. Not because he doesn't want to. You have not because you ask not. I mean... It's a biblical principle. If you want God to work, you've got to invite him. If you want me to come to your house for dinner, I'm not asking for this. But would you make a dinner and set a table and never even tell me that I was invited? Would you get mad at me for not showing up at your dinner party that you made specially? And you set a place for it, had food for it, you cleaned the house for it, and you never even told me? Be mad at me, get offended? Like, well, you didn't come to dinner. Did you invite me? Like, did I know? But yet, sometimes that's how we treat God. We hadn't even prayed. 
and we're mad because God isn't helping me. Prayer makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. It acknowledges my dependence upon Him. It acknowledges my desire for Him to work. And it also opens the door for Him to work. Now, there's several verses. I'm just going to give you these for the sake of time, but well, I'm going to read one of them. One of them comes out of Romans 8, 26 through 28. It's a often misunderstood scripture, but he talks about that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit would help us to pray in line with the will of God. That's praying in the Spirit. But he also goes on and he talks about that, you know, uh, is that God will work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. A lot of people take that verse and be like, oh, well, you can't ever understand God. Well, let's keep this in mind. He's talking about prayer. When you pray, God will work all things together for your good. Not just when bad things happen. Well, God, you know, God's going to work that out. The Bible doesn't say that. Go get some context. He's talking about prayer and seeking God. And he says, and when you pray, I will work all things together for your good. So we, we've, got to, we've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit as we pray. Jude chapter 20. Or chapter 20. Jude verse 20. If you're looking for Jude chapter 20, it ain't there. And if it's there, you need to burn that Bible. <laughs> Just go get you a different one. I don't know what Bible that is, but it can't be the right one. I can tell you that. Jude verse 20, it says, You dear friends, he says, Build each other up on your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, it says, And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring... Uh, bring you eternal life. He says, in this way you will keep yourselves safe in the love of God. The Amplified Bible of verse 21 says this. It says, and keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously and looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things, and I'm just going to mention this, I don't have time to teach on it, but in your prayer and in your life more aptly applied is this is that we got to pay attention to the love walk you're like well what is the love walk go read first corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 we used to have it on little cards little confession i am kind and i am patient i'm long-suffering i don't take account of any evil done to me you want to read some challenging verses go try to memorize that bad boy my prayers are affected by my ability to walk in love with people. Even as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, there may be someone who is antagonistic to me in my life. I don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what I can do is I can thump the devil on the head by loving that person. The Bible says we're actually supposed to love those and help those who even despitefully use us. Like, dang it, Jesus, why do you have to say that? <laughs> Even to go to that level. Why? Because I might be in this world, but I am not of this world any longer. I can live above and beyond. And when I live that way, my prayer, remember the training aspect? When I learn to walk in love, my prayer is even, it's like a sharper knife. I can be wielding the sword of the Spirit, but it might be dull as all get out and wondering, why ain't this thing cutting a piece of paper? Well, are you walking in love with people? He says, 
Here he says, look, you can pray in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up. But hey, don't forget about we're expected to love and to walk with people. One of the interesting things, uh, one of the people that I've been looking and reading during this series is a guy named uh, Pastor Rick Renner. He's a missionary in Russia. And uh, he has lots of, he's a Greek scholar, basically. So this is New Testament, which was written in the Greek. So, you know, he can really expound upon it. But this is one of the things that he did uh, as I was reading uh, as he compares prayer to the spear of the Roman soldier. It's the one piece of the Roman armor armament that Paul doesn't address. He addressed every other part. But one of the things that they had was a big long... Let me say it like this. It was a javelin. Anybody not know what a javelin is? You watch the Olympics, a big long stick, and they rear back and they launch it. He equates prayer to a javelin. Now, they had many different types of spears for different purposes. You know, they, they would even call it a lance. I don't really know why, but that's what they called it. But it's a spear. And they had different ones for different purposes. But one of the things about a spear was this, is that it could obviously be thrown a long distance. They could rear back and fling it. In other words, they could hit a target a long ways off. The same thing is true when we pray. You know that when you pray, you can actually head off the enemy before he ever gets to you? You can ambush him before he ambushes you. And you can do that through prayer. That's why when you pray in the Spirit, you might be praying things out in the future, never even knowing that there was an enemy coming. And by the time you get there, it'll be like in the Old Testament where there was no battle. All you had to do was pick up the spoils of war. Why? Because God had gone ahead, fought the battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But through prayer, we can actually go ahead. You're like, well, that sounds spooky. That sounds weird. Then don't believe it. I'm not telling you you have to believe this. I'm just telling you for me, I've seen this work in my life. Where I've been able to pray and and I walk through going, that was really easy. (laughs) I know this, when I pray, things go a lot smoother than if I don't. And when it gets rough, I start praying. I'm like, oh Lord, help me. (laughs) And he does, he's faithful. It's not about perfection. So some of these um, spears were, they were meant to be thrown. They were actually designed. They were different lengths, different, all these different characteristics. Some of them were specifically made to throw, to pierce a shield, and as soon as it hit, it would bend. The end of it would bend. And here's why. You ever tried to, like, pick something up that something else was connected to it and it made it really heavy? I mean, a shield's heavy enough. Well, then you get a spear, this big clunky... I mean, imagine a rake sticking off the side of it. That's about what it would be like, a big handle. It's kind of hard to fight with a big old handle sticking off. It was like six feet long. because it made it more cumbersome. So they'd have to throw their shield aside... You just got an advantage as a warrior. Another type of spear that they would use was actually on horseback. You ever seen like, um, oh, what do they call that? The, um, what do you call those big long sticks? The guy rides on a horse. They go at it. Jousting. Is it? Javelin. Joust? I don't know what it is. Either way. The one where they ride the horses at each other and they, you know. Joust. There we go. Whatever. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. They actually had one of those for a guy riding on horseback. Somebody can't hear with you. It was 16 feet long. They would sit there and ride and just start mowing people down with it. That's what they would do. And if they really wanted to, they would take it and stab it and actually pin the guy to the ground with it. Pretty violent. I mean, the Romans were, you know, we've talked about that, but they were pretty violent. 
Now think about this. We're talking about prayer, and yet, by all, I mean, I'll say it this way. At best, we can assume, because the only thing Paul left out, he didn't put in a list, he does talk about prayer. I love something that somebody said to me one time, and this was, and it was specifically about prayer, and he said that prayer was a, a long-range early warning system. If nothing else, this is what prayer will produce in your heart. You know, I mean, just like we have here in America. We've got, you know, like Israel has, lots of nations have missile defense. Something enters our airspace, we know it, and we will have countermeasures quickly. Why? Because we're going to blow it up out there in the ocean before it ever gets around people. Your prayer life actually can keep you sensitive to the Holy Spirit to where you know something's coming before it ever hits. And to the point that you might even be able to shoot it down before it ever got into your life. Take a javelin. It's like the old saying, grip it and rip it. Just let it go. No, those things can happen. Pastor Renner says this, he, he talks about this, he makes this statement, I said something like this earlier, but it, it will just help reinforce, he says, no matter how anointed, skilled, or gifted you are, or how bold or courageous you may think you are, you, you simply cannot maintain a victorious position apart from prayer. It's just not possible. Prayer is vital. Doesn't mean I've got to go lock myself up in the closet for five hours every night. You know, I mean, there's a famous quote from Smith Wigglesworth. He says, you know, there's two of them. You can pick either one. Either one of them will challenge you. <laughs> I never pray for more than five minutes, but I never go more than five minutes without prayer. And then there's one that's, which I don't know which one is accurate, so I'll give you both. I never pray more than 30 minutes, but I never go more than 30 minutes without prayer. Either way, that's challenging. He's just saying, hey, I stay in constant communication with the Father. I'm just, I'm always in ready mode. My missile defenses are up. And I'm just waiting for the enemy to come into my airspace. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm ready. Now the Bible talks a lot about uh, different types of prayer. Because it says here in Ephesians uh, 18. It says to pray all the time in the spirit with all manner of prayer. That's actually the way that that is properly translated. Well there's lots of types of prayer. There's not one prayer that's better. One prayer that's more effective. But you don't bring a knife to a gunfight either. And sometimes you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do I need to be praying? And ask Him to help you. So let me give you a, a few of them. Number one, be the prayer of faith. The prayer of agreement. The prayer of intercession. You ever, had, you ever heard somebody say, well, you just need to pray that through? You ever heard that saying? You've got to pray what? You've got to pray it through. Why? Because God will fight for you, but you, we still have a part. Another one is the prayer of supplication, which I'm going to give you an easy definition for that. Help. <laughs> That's really what that word means. Help. And sometimes that might be help. I've gotten myself into a mess. It's okay. God will still come. He's not going to be like, you got there. Figure it out. <laughs> this has got to do with me. That's your problem. No. We can pray and ask the Lord for help, even in situations that we've got ourselves into. And God is faithful and will work on our behalf. Another one is a prayer of petition. This goes back to you have not because you ask not. You have a request. God, here's my petition. Your word says that you would provide what I have need of. 
Here's another one. It's a prayer of consecration. We see this in the life of Jesus. There's lots of it throughout Scripture, but in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. You know, we, we actually do this when we get saved. It's a prayer of consecration. But there are also times in my life, and I'm sure in other people's life, that I have to re, in a sense, you could say it this way, is I have to recommit my life, my mind, my thoughts. Sometimes i got to go to the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been trying to do this without you. Whatever it may be, whatever circumstance, situation might be, Lord, I've been trying to fight this battle on my own, and I realize that I need you, and I'm committed, Lord, that, that I'm going to walk through this thing with you, and that you're going to help me through this. That's the prayer of consecration. Another one is a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thanks. Man, I really have to give you the, the Greek definition. It's giving of thanks. I know, it's shocker. It's deep. Another one is corporate prayer. Corporate church-wide prayer. I mean, throughout the Bible, you see it over and over and over. Call a fast and dedicate a day to the Lord. I mean, I've never read in the Bible where it says they called for corporate prayer and God didn't show up. It's not in Scripture. Every time they did it, He showed up. He answered their prayer. So there's, and there's times of that, that we gather around people as a church, as a whole body. And we rally around them and, and we apply our faith to them. And, that, and there's times for that. Another one is praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues, praying in a heavenly language. That's a gift from God for our strength, for our empowerment. It's a gift. We don't earn it. We just receive it. I've shared this quote before, but I, I just love it so much, so I'm going to share it anyway. It's a guy named Samuel Chadwick. He says, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. He'll let you read the Bible all day long. Just don't pray. Prayerless work. Prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You can be head knowledge full and yet have zero power in your life. We can do a lot of good things in our community. But if we ain't praying, it's going to amount to nothing. You know, the Bible says that we will stand before the Lord and our whole life will be put on a scale and it will be tested with fire. And some things will go and be gone. And he said, only that of which we value will remain. Well, we can do a lot of things in our community that won't amount to nothing if we're not praying. But if we pray, God can do something amazing. Because the enemy knows that we actually mean business when we pray. We can talk a lot and say what we want to do and, oh, we want revival and we want God to move and we want the presence of God and we want to see miracles and we want to see all these amazing things happen. But if we're not praying for them, they're not coming. Talking about it is not what brings it. It's praying for it. Asking the Lord is what brings it. Here's another quote from Chadwick out of the same book. But he said that prayer prevails. It turns ordinary men into men of power. I love that. It takes ordinary men and turns them into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. Prayer brings God. That's what happens when we pray. I was listening to a, a, a pastor, and he was speaking about this verse, and I liked what he said. He said that prayer isn't just about making me feel good. It's about making the devil feel bad. 
I like that. I'm just reminding the devil. Hey, you remember Jesus, don't you? (laughs) He's on my side. I just want to remind you of that today, devil. Like, I may not be having a good day, but Jesus doesn't have a bad day. And that means good news for me, and that means bad news for you. So, have a good day, sir. (laughs) I want to make the devil paranoid. You know, it's kind of like if you had an older sibling, like your big brother... Like, you're picking with the wrong person because I got a big brother over here that you don't want to mess with. Devil, let me remind you. God is on my side. And, and that will give us confidence. So obviously, you know, over these last number of weeks, God has really been stirring in us the wisdom that he has for us about this fight that we're in. But the, the armor itself isn't enough just by itself. We need God to show up. We need God to work in us and for us. So that we can experience all that he has for us. Not live a defeated life, but to live a triumphant life. And proper biblical prayer. Prayer is one of the most misunderstood and jacked up topics. People got all kinds of crazy ideas about prayer. I mean, you know, I've shared these things. At one time, there was a teaching that said if you would get in a plane and go up 30,000 feet, you'd be closer to the heavenlies and you could deal with demonic powers in the heavenlies from a plane. Just practically, did Jesus do that? Like, well, he went up in the mountain. Not to deal with the devil. He went up in the mountain to get away from people to spend time with the Lord. He came down where people were to deal with devils. Right? If that's the way Jesus did it, I don't think it's changed. I mean, that's what I'm there are some squirrely ideas when it comes to prayer. Prayer's not difficult. If it's difficult, you're doing it wrong. That's my general rule. God didn't make it difficult. He didn't make anything difficult. Biblical prayer is simply acknowledging God and acknowledging His Word, acknowledging our dependence for Him to come and help. When we keep it simple with the Bible, it keeps us from legalism. Not just in repetition routine here. But prayer ultimately keeps me dependent on the one to where my help comes from. At the end of the day, that matters more than anything else. God, I'm dependent upon you. God, it's not my strength. It's not my wisdom. It's not my my holiness or my righteousness or my goodness or I've done X, Y, and Z. God, I need you to show up for me. And God, I have an enemy that I need help with in my life and so I look to you to give me the strength that I need and I'm acknowledging that I need your presence and I need your help Holy Spirit you live on the inside of me give me wisdom today that's biblical prayer there were no these and nows and memorized scriptures there it's just be you your best prayer is when you're you not when you're somebody else, not when you sound like somebody else, not when you sound like some language that ain't been spoken 300 years. Well, longer than that, 400 years. Just be you. God wants you to come and ask. God wants you to come and talk. And here's the cool thing. When we talk, He'll start talking. We pray, God will begin to, he'll begin to stir things in your heart. And that's when prayer becomes fun now it's no longer just a monologue it's a dialogue God what should I do about this and he's like well you should probably maybe want to think about doing this or this 
God never tells you what to do, but he just gives you really good suggestions. And you're like, man, you're smart. Man, you're smart. Couldn't have thought of that on my own. But it takes a willingness just to go to God and say, hey, I, I'm dependent upon you. As much as, my ne- as much as my next breath, God, I want you. That's more important than even the need. God, I want you to be a part of my day-to-day life all the time. I'm just acknowledging my desire. And when we do that, God will answer. God will move and God will work. And you'll see the work of the enemy be greatly diminished in your life. Why? Because you have the greater one living on the inside of you. It just says all we have to do is resist the devil and what? He will flee. Why? Because the greater one lives. See, the truth is the devil knows that the greater one's on the inside of us. He's just hoping that we don't know that. But when we figure that out, he knows he's in trouble. And that's our promise from Scripture. But when we walk that out, that's exactly how it will play out in our lives. Amen.